0: Good evening, Godspeak, find you a spot to settle in. If you need a Bible, you didn't bring a Bible with you tonight, we'll be opening to Genesis 18, but if you need a Bible, raise your hand, our servants team will get you a Bible, they're walking down the aisles, and they got some Bibles. We have no announcement video, I was told here, and so, just so that you know, last night we had an epic meeting with the treasurer from the state of Utah, his name is uh, Treasurer Oaks. And he did an incredible one hour presentation on ESG and what's going on in the world. It was super illuminating. You might want to check it out online if you haven't seen it. And to know what's, what's happening in this whole uh, really leftist, socialist, communist agenda that it's happening through corporate America, it's really. Uh, diabolically fascinating. <laughs> if, if you could be fascinated by evil, this is very fascinating. And we, we don't have to be rattled. We can trust the Lord through all of these things and just thank God that he's on the throne. He's told us this stuff's going to be happening in the last days, So we'll do all we can to resist until the Lord snatches us out of here. Anybody ready to go home to be to he- in heaven? I'm ready. Right on. But until then, we will occupy till he comes But this Thursday from 6 to 8, we'll be having our first free Ventura uh, mixer. There's uh, 12 uh, politicians that are going to be running for office in this coming 2024 cycle. And if you want to meet them, if you want to help, if you want to be salt and light in a practical way in public office to help these people out, then come this Thursday night right here at the church. And that is from 6 to 8. That'll be our kickoff for this season for 2024. It's hard to believe it's already here, but people are already filing now in the fall of 23 for what's gonna happen in this coming year. Well, we're going through Genesis, the book of beginnings, and we're looking at this series just uh, going to the very beginning. Sometimes the answers, you find them at the back of the book, and in the Bible, you have them at the beginning of the book to set the trajectory of your life, From God's original design and plan and one of those original designs and plans that unfolds through the book of Genesis is the Lord sharing his secrets the secrets of God with his friend he's the only one in Scripture that is Abraham is called the friend of God and as their relationship has now grown for 24 years the Lord's gonna pop by for lunch you ever have unexpected guests just drop in and not just anybody, uh, three very prominent friends, which they take the appearance of three men. Abraham thinks it's three men. The Middle Eastern hospitality is really off the hook. And they show up and he does an impromptu lunch and throws everybody into a tailspin to prepare things. Ladies, don't you love it when somebody drops by unexpectedly and you haven't got the house put together, there's nothing in the fridge, and your husband just invited him over? I've had those conversations late at night when it's all over. And what were you thinking? and no heads up, you just brought him home with you and here I am in my sweats with my hair up on my head and the house is a mess. No, I'm sure that's a fictional thing. This never happened in my 37 years of marriage. But when we look at this passage of scripture, the cool thing is God shares his secrets with his people. Have you ever had the Lord whisper in your ear something cool he's gonna do and then watch him fulfill it? Are you open, are you close in your fellowship with the Lord that when that happens, it's just like a friend stopping by unexpectedly for lunch and you hang out and he downloads really four amazing secrets that are gonna unfold in Abraham's life, like mind-blowing, life-changing trajectory in his life. He's the father of faith because when God tells him these things, he believes him. He simply believes him. Check it out as we open up here in Genesis 18. Two verses I want you to think about. Let them kind of simmer on that back burner in the back of your mind. Amos 3, 7. Surely the Lord God does nothing. Get that? Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. You go, well, wow, that would be cool to be a prophet so that he could reveal a secret. Well, check out the next verse, Psalm 25, 14. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. Do you fear the Lord? Well, then he will reveal to you his secrets. Now, in the New Testament, the word secret is used as something that was previously hidden, but has now been revealed to the church. And so he talks about the gospel, that there's this incredible mystery that mankind did not know about but now salvation is obtained through a relationship with the son of God who took on human flesh lived a sinless life died on a cross was buried and rose from the dead and through faith in him you can be redeemed from your life of sin the Lord wants to reveal secrets as we pray as we hang out with him we're reading his word but oftentimes those secrets are revealed to us in very ordinary days have you noticed that Epic things happen on very ordinary days. This happens to be a hot summer day, as we'll see in verse one. It says, then the Lord appeared to him by the Taribaneth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day, hot summer day, under the trees there at Mamre. And he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, three men were standing by him. In this passage, as far as the outline goes, we're gonna see Abraham look up step up, listen up, and speak up. So as he unfolds in this relationship, because this is a relationship with God. And as you and I grow in our relationship with the Lord, he's been developing this for 24 years. The Lord 24 years earlier had appeared to him in glory, it tells us in Acts chapter seven, Stephen preaching a sermon says in uh, Ur of the Chaldeans or in Mesopotamia, the God of glory appeared to Abraham and he told him, get out of your country, get away from your family, go to a land that I'm gonna show you and I'm gonna bless you there. So he's been growing for 24 years. How long have you been walking with the Lord? And have you discovered that it takes some time to build friendships? If you've been a long time in one place and have a lot of great friends and then you move, the first thing you realize is, I took for granted all my friendships. Because it takes years and years and years to develop those kind of friendships that you just take for granted. But God and Abraham and Sarah have been friends for about 24 years. He's 99 years old. Sarah is 89 years old. And it says the Lord appeared to him. Once again, the Lord is coming in and he's taking on a physical, this is called a Christophany or an Old Testament appearance of uh, the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament. You remember when Jesus is talking with the Pharisees in John chapter 8, they're going back and forth and they're telling him, uh, they're accusing him of all kinds of stuff and he tells them your father is the devil he's a liar from the beginning Jesus really laying it on him and he said Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and he was glad and they said you're not even 50 years old Abraham was basically 2,000 years before Jesus and he's like you're not even 50 years old and you're saying that you know Abraham that was like 2,000 years ago and he said he did see my day and he rejoiced in it so Abraham had this sense in a relationship with the Lord. But when he looks at them, it just looks like three men at the beginning. Three prominent men, maybe ordinary men dressed as ordinary men. But we know one is the Lord and the other two are angels. That as this story unfolds, they're going to depart and go to Sodom and Gomorrah. And they're going to ultimately rescue, as we get to chapter 19 next week, they're going to rescue Lot, his wife, and his two children, Well, they almost got Lot's wife, Mrs. Lot, out of town, but she wanted Sodom and Gomorrah, so she ended up turning back. So the angels really just got out of Dodge before the firestorm came with Lot and his two girls. But notice what it says. So he lifted his eyes in verse 2, and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. When the Lord shares his secrets with us, it's because we're looking unto the Lord. In this case, it's just a hot day, he's under this shade tree hanging out, and he sees them and he looks up and he sees them. But in a spiritual sense, when you're walking with the Lord and just daily you're reading the scriptures, you're just looking to the Lord for his direction in your life. And most of the direction in your life, 99% of the direction in your life, is gonna come from reading God's Word when you read God's word, God is talking to you. Get that through your head. God is talking to you. When I read this book, this is God's love letter to me. When I read it, he's talking to me. So I never say, God hasn't been talking to me lately. Why? Because I've been reading this book. God's talking to me every single day. But people say, oh, God doesn't talk to me. And I said, well, don't you read his word? Oh, yeah, I really don't read the Bible much. Well, I guess you're right. <laughs> God's really not talking to you. And when I pray, I talk to God. You know, I've been married for 37 years and it's a fascinating thing, this relationship thing only goes well if I talk to her and she listens and she talks to me and I listen. Isn't that a mystery? I just, I just downloaded one of the, the greatest insights into marriage in the history of the world. <laughs> Why? Because a lot of times we're not talking and listening or we're talking, we're not listening, we're tuning out. A <laughs> woman told me, as soon as we got married my husband's vocabulary was reduced to two sounds, not even words, uh-huh and uh-uh. <laughs> he became nonverbal. As soon as he captured his little prize, he was one step away from a grunting caveman. Uh-huh and uh-uh. It's fascinating. My wife really likes it when I look at her, pay attention, listen to her and what's going on. That's how you grow in a relationship. And our relationship with God is the same way. We want to be sensitive and we want to hear the secrets of God, but we have to make time to hang out with God. Read his word, pray, just have some, just hanging out with the Lord. Whether you do it in the morning with a cup of coffee, I was a construction worker for years, so I would just read my Bible and let God talk to me while I ate a bowl of honey nut Cheerios, that was my thing. And then when I drove to work, maybe it was 15 minutes, maybe it was an hour, depending on where my job was in construction. And I would just talk to the Lord all the way there and I would talk to him all the way home. Talk to him throughout the day. But I started with him talking to me. The Bible says that the the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal towards him. Did you know God's cruising back and forth on planet earth every single day, 24-7, just looking for men and women that are saying, here I am, Lord, send me. I want to hear from you. I want to love you. I want to, I want to serve you. I want to walk with you. God says, my eyes are searching to and fro. Well, he had found that. in Abraham, and Abraham looked up and saw him. Now, at this moment, Abraham still doesn't know it's the Lord. Just looks like three men. The Bible says that, um, be careful to entertain angels, it says. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, because or chapter 13, excuse me. Because some have unwittingly or unknowingly entertained angels. And that's what's going on right now. Now, there's a certain moment here where it's all going to click and Abraham's going to know what's up. But for now, he's just offering Middle Eastern hospitality. So now he's going to step up. He's looked up and saw them standing there. And it says in verse 2, and when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them. He ran. He's 99 years old. Have you ever seen the 99-year-old shuffle? When my, when my grandpa was 92, he could, he could still shuffle at 92, and I was visiting him one day, and uh, uh, he said, he had this habit from the time, I, I pretty much lived with my grandparents in high school, and so my grandfather would get up every day, drink a cup of coffee, eat an apple, and he'd walk to the post office, get his mail, and come back in the small town of Filer where I'm from. And so he's now 92, and uh, I'm visiting, and I'm married, I have kids. And I said, well, Grandpa, you still drinking your cup of coffee, eating your apple, and going to the post office? He goes, I am, I am. He goes, but now, you know, the thing is, I have to stop and rest on the way. I said, why? He goes, because I'm so fast, my blood can't keep up. <laughs> A couple of months after that, his old pump was given up, and he went home to be with the Lord. But here... Abraham is 99 years old, and notice the, the eagerness with which he, he, he becomes a servant. Now, he has a lot of servants. We discovered back in chapter 14 that he has 318 armed servants, men, who were born in his own household that he raised up and gave them military training to be the protectors of his village. Think of Abraham's, you know, basically a small community just moving around with probably, you know... Uh, close to eight, seven, 800 people. He's a super wealthy guy and he's a moving village. But here he's got lots of servants, but he takes on the form of a servant. Jesus said, if you wanna be truly great, become a servant to all. And here it says that he ran. Check that out. He ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself. He humbled himself to the ground and said, My Lord, and this is basically addressing him as a man with respect, kind of mister, if you will. If I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah, his wife, and said, quickly, make three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes. They don't have time to let it uh, rise and put yeast in it, but she's just going to knead it and bake it. Verse 7, Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf, which he had prepared, and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. He stood by just as their waiter. Check that out. Everything he offered these people, they just show up. Imagine three strangers show up in the middle of July. You've just mowed your lawn. It's 100 degrees. you got sweat pouring down your face. You're sitting there in the shade. These three people show up. And how are you going to treat them? Oh, come in. Honey, make some biscuits. (laughs) Go kill the fatted calf. Well, you don't have a calf, so I guess it's your dog out back. I don't know what you go get. Right, and, and you do all of these things to prepare it. I was at uh, a nice dinner with some friends of ours down in San Diego last Sunday night. And a big party of 20 plus had come in before us. So it took them over an hour to get our food. And it took a long time. And, and my friend looked at me like, I wonder if we're ever gonna get our food because in our area of the restaurant there wasn't that many people, but there was this large party in another room. And I said, I think they had to go butcher the the calf for our steaks out back. But think about how long this took to bake the bread, to butcher the calf, to cut up the calf, to cut some steaks, right? Some veal cutlets, it's a calf, so veal. And I know for those who are faint of heart, and uh, (laughs) you may not like this meal, but he goes, on, it says he took butter and milk and the calf and he set it before them and stood by. When people uh, treat you in such an incredible, hospitable way, they, they washed their feet, which was a, a custom, a little water for them to wash their feet. Because they wore sandals, right? You ever wear sandals? You're on a camping trip. Maybe you don't, you don't shower for three or four days and you think you're getting an amazing tan on your foot. You get in the shower and it all washes off, right? They, they wash their feet on a regular basis. And when you see that kind of uh, servanthood, it's just, it always delights your heart. About three weeks ago, maybe it's four weeks ago now, uh, my wife was running over to the little deli right across the parking lot here. And she's, when she goes places, she's just exercise. She's gonna, we had ordered some sandwiches. She was gonna pick some sandwiches up. So my wife's running over there and just right in front <laughs> kind of right in front of the deli, she uh, the, the pavement was up and she caught her toe. And she did a full-blown face plant. I mean, sprawling face plant, ripped her uh, pants, the, the knees, and uh, blood's flowing down her knee. I mean, she really, really jacked herself up. And yet there was a, a guy in his 70s, it was a Saturday... And they had just started this little Christian school over here in the storefront. And he comes running out and he's like, oh, Jesus, bring your healing power. You know, and he comes running out and ta- picks my wife up, takes her into their place in this storefront. His wife was there and they came with a first aid kit and they bandaged her all up with their knees and they laid hands on her and prayed for her. And she came back with from, uh, she left totally normal. <laughs> she, came, she was covered with dirt from just like, hitting, you know, the, the pavement and getting all sprawled out. But I was so thankful for the, the kindness of this couple that just took my wife in and they bandaged her up very much like a good Samaritan. And your, your heart just is so thrilled by that. And I look at Abraham here as he is just opening his home. He's, his wife's involved, he's got his servants involved and they're just taking care of these people in an incredible way. And so they still think they're just three guys. Imagine treating people like that. We have a hard time pulling off a smile and a hello to a stranger as we walk by them. Right? The Lord may want our hearts to be a little bit more open. Obviously, you're like, yeah, but this is a scary world today. Yeah, it is. The Lord will give you discernment when you shouldn't be uh, engaging in conversation. But a smile and a kind word goes a long ways in days where people are lonely, isolated. Abraham here, we see him in more of a servant's role than at any other experience throughout his life right here. Because as far as he knows right now, these are just total strangers. But the revelation's gonna come. Now he, he's going to listen up. So he looked up, he's available, he steps up, does incredible things here, and It says in verse nine, then they said to him, the three of them, where is, where's Sarah, your wife? And so he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. Now, Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, why all good wives have good eavesdropping skills right from the kitchen door here it's from the uh, the tent door she's in the tent and she's listening to their conversation and she listens in verse 11 now abraham and sarah were old well advanced in age and sarah had passed the age of childbearing therefore sarah laughed within herself no noise come out of her mouth but she laughed silently within herself <laughs> saying, "'After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also?' And the Lord said to Abraham, "'Why did Sarah laugh?' Saying, "'Shall I surely bear a child, since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord?' At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son.' But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, oh, no, but you did laugh. (laughs) This is a funny conversation, isn't it? Right? Isn't this such a girl thing at this moment? And Abraham, he's worried about feeding these people. And it's now that they finally say, hey, where's Sarah? Now, first of all, you're like these strangers. How do you know my wife? (laughs) How do you know her name? My wife, Sarah? Well, she's here in the tent. She just baked this bread for you. And he said, I'm gonna come back according to the time of life. Basically, I'm gonna come back in nine months. I'm gonna come back. The conception's gonna happen this week. And I'm gonna come back in nine months, the time of life, and she's gonna have a child. Immediately, Abraham's eyes are open to understand that this is now the Lord communicating with him a, uh, a supernatural encounter. It goes from an impromptu lunch of strangers and showing Middle Eastern hospitality to the God of the universe. Now is downloading a secret, and what is that secret? That in nine months, <coughs> you're going to have a child. You're 89, he's 99, so you're going to have a child. And Abraham, you're going to be a father. Now he was a father of Ishmael, there, Ishmael's is 13 years old, but not with Sarah. So he's going to be a father according to God's plan at the age of 100, and Sarah's going to be 99. She's passed, she's went through menopause. Ladies, you know, the, the journey as you go through menopause and what that's like, and, and uh, my wife has been cold our entire life till she went through menopause, and then she's frozen me to death through the process of turning on the air conditioning and open the windows and, and all the things going through that journey as the, whoo, whoo, it's hot in here. Oftentimes you're in church and there's three or four ladies and they just have their bulletin. And that's why we hand it out for ladies going through menopause, just there having a hot flash. But when you go through that process and you no longer have a monthly period, you know that that's all over. We do. And for them, they know the change of life is happening because Sarah says, I'm old. I, I can't have kids now. And Abraham, he's old. So are you kidding me that we're now going to have joy? We're now going to have pleasure at this old age. Now, God's told him this a number of times. This is the first time he set a birth date. This, the time of life. He says it twice. Time of life next year. So in nine months, he's coming back. But the Lord also wants to know, hey, how come when I told you a promise from God that you laughed at it? Now, there's two different ways to laugh. In the previous chapter, chapter 17, the Lord told Abraham that they're going to have a child. His name is going to be Laughter Isaac because that's they both laughed. Abraham laughed incredulously like, I believe you, Lord, but this is stinking funny. That's how he laughed. She's laughing at like. Are, are you out of your mind? <laughs> like, can, I can't believe I'm going to have a baby at this age. I'm going to be 90 and have my firstborn. In Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel shows up and he tells Zechariah, who is the father of John the Baptist he's a priest. And there he is. And the priest, the priest had kind of a lottery system who got to burn incense. There was a system that, that David had come up with and, and uh, Solomon had refined it, these 24 orders of priests. So you might be a priest your whole life. And then you finally get the lottery where you're going to, you're going to do the evening prayer. So you would put the incense. So they had to sacrifice at nine in the morning and three in the afternoon. So the afternoon sacrifice or the evening sacrifice, he puts the, uh, he's there, there at the altar, the, the place of incense for the uh, picture of the prayers of God's people going up. And the angel Gabriel shows up, say, Zacharias, I'm Gabriel. And you're. they were both barren too. He was old and Elizabeth, they could never have children. And he says, you know, now you're gonna have a son and his name's gonna be John, called John. And he did not believe. He's like, how can this be? I'm too old, she's too old. And he goes, oh, you don't believe the promise of God? Okay, you're gonna be mute, you're not going to be able to talk until John's born. You guys remember the story, right? And so he comes out. Now, well, when they came out, the priest came out to the people. The people are out here waiting for the prayers of the saints, and they were waiting to leave with the blessing. They would lift their hands up, the priest like this, and they would convey a blessing to the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make, cause his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance and give you peace. And they would receive that blessing, and then they would go away. They'd go home. But he comes out. He can't talk. He, what do you Go away. I don't know what you say when you can't talk. But a, Gabriel goes from there, and he goes over, and he sees Mary. Mary's like 15. She's, imagine you're a teenager, and an angel shows up. Hi, Mary. Blessed are you among women. Highly favored one. And it says she was troubled at the greeting. It's not, you know, your average, see a teenager, oh, highly favored one. <laughs> And she's like, uh, I'm Gabriel. You're gonna have a son. His name's gonna be Emmanuel, God with us. They were all waiting for the Messiah. Every Jewish girl hoped that she would be the mother of the Messiah of Israel. Now, she had the same opportunity. Zecharias, he was kind of incre- he he in unbelief, and Gabriel said, Okay, your unbelief will be rewarded with silence. But Mary had a, it seems like a similar question, but it's not. She had faith that God could do it. She's just like, well, how can this be? Because you've got to have sex with a man to get pregnant. And I'm a virgin. So how's that work? And it says, don't worry about the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. And the Holy Spirit is supernaturally going to put the holy seed of the Son of God inside of you. We call it the immaculate conception. Because sin comes down. Is carried down through the male line. It's called the Adamic sin, Adam's sin. The Adamic sin. So the Lord could use Mary as a surrogate, so to speak. But she believed. And the Lord told her that all things are possible with God. Now I want to ask you tonight, here the Lord's telling them some amazing things. You're going to have a, you're going to have a son. This time, nine months from now, you're going to have a son. And she's laughing about it and the Lord's calling her on the carpet. If God tells you some outrageous thing, do you believe that God is able to do whatever He's revealing to you the secrets that He wants to do? Who do you think God is? Do you know faith? Faith is not you having faith in faith or enough faith. Faith is the object of your faith, what you're trusting in. And God, you can trust God because He is the one that's giving the promises. This is the foolishness of God. God interacts with his people by giving us big promises and he asks us to believe them and to act upon them. It is divine revelation that requires faith and obedience in that. And so the Lord is giving divine revelation to Abraham and Sarah and then they have to have faith and obedience. So they, have to, they trust God that he's gonna do it and then obedience. Well, obviously if it's a man and a woman going to have a baby, they're gonna have some fun that week and have a, uh, I don't know, is this the honeymoon of how do 100-year-olds honey, have honeymoons? I don't know, right? Or they have a special, hey, let's go to Palm Springs for the weekend. I don't know what they do. But they're going to, by faith, engage in the physical act, and God is going to bless them. But it's so important for you to realize nothing's too hard for God. Maybe you're facing some things, and it's, maybe it is about having a child. I don't know. I've prayed for people that couldn't have children, and the Lord just blessed them with kids. Where We sang this last song tonight. We are in a house of miracles. God does supernatural things. I've watched the Lord heal people supernaturally. Does God heal always? No. Why? I don't know. I've prayed for someone literally standing side by side on a Sunday morning. And one had a golf ball sized brain tumor. And the Lord healed her and went to the doctor that week. And the doctor stopped all her treatment. And... She was healed. It was inoperable. She was gonna die, and the gal next to her had cervical cancer and was had two little kids—a little two two two-year-old girl and a little four-year-old girl—and she was with. She died in three months. We prayed for them. We anointed them both with oil. We're in a house of miracles. The one was supernaturally healed. The Lord said, "For the other one, it's time to come home." Heaven is also its own form of healing, brothers and sisters. And a lot of people don't want to accept that in the faith movement. is anything too hard for God? I've married couples that a husband will say, she'll never change. This is who she is. It's a lost cause. Have husbands say the same thing. Have a wayward kid. He's never going to change. Always. You know, if you're ever using the word always and never, it's usually absent of faith, right? because we're, we're, we're declaring a condition that is unbreakable by intervention of God, or their change. He can change things, he can transform things, he can take a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman and say, you know what, you guys are gonna have a kid and you're gonna name him Laughter because every time you call his name, it's gonna put a smile on your face because this is so stinking ridiculous. <laughs> that it's, God has a sense of humor. And I've shared with you over and over and over through these chapters because this is the point that Paul the Apostle says in Romans chapter 4 that God, why did God wait so long? Because he was waiting for Abraham and Sarah's bodies to be as good as dead reproductively so they both would look at each other. You know, when you're 190, let's just say it in the nicest way we can. Gravity wins, folks right? This gravity wins on on our bodies. And they look at each other and go, it'll have to be a divine miracle, a divine miracle to have a baby. And God was waiting for them. And it tells us that when Abraham believed God and he did, I like the, the King James, I think, he did not stagger at the promises of God. Like God tells you something that's, you know, for those who are older, you remember the old Sanford and Son, and he was like, he'd stagger with, oh, Elizabeth, here I come. I'm having a heart attack. Too, too, too big a news. And he didn't stagger when God told Abraham that you're going to have a child. He didn't stagger at the promises of God. He's like, right on. The God I serve is big. The God I serve does miracles. The God I, the God I serve, he is able. They ask that question, the Lord asks it, is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer is no, nothing's too hard for the Lord. And if you get Genesis 1-1 and you believe it, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, you believe that God is able to do anything. It says in Jeremiah 32, 17, ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Whatever you are facing tonight, There is nothing too hard for God to help you with. Nothing. There is nothing too hard for God to work in, to intervene. Now, the way he works, you may not like. The timing that he works, you may not like. (laughs) The people that get involved in the process, you may not like. But is anything too hard for him? The answer is no. But if you ask him to intervene, then you have to trust for the processes and the timing that he chooses to bring it. is the Lord told uh, Mary in Luke 137, for with God, not, nothing will be impossible. Or as Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, notice the secrets of God that have just downloaded First of all, that they're going to have a child this time of life next year. So in nine months, they're going to have a child. And now he's going to turn and he's got some other things that he wants to download. Since we're telling secrets, since we're bringing revelation in verse 16, then the men arose from there, this is the two men, well, all of them, excuse me, and looked towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Now, this is the cool, this is the second secret he's going to share. First secret, you're going to have a child nine months from now. Pretty cool, been waiting for 25 years for this promise to be fulfilled. And now he looks at the two angels and he goes, hey, this is, once again, this appears from most theologians' perspective, this is an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus. And he's talking, shall I hide from my friend Abraham what I'm going to do? And now he tells us why. Why doesn't he want to hide this secret that he's going to do when he brings judgment to Sodom and Gomorrah? Because when judgment's coming, God also whispers in the ear of his people. The Lord found a man who found grace in his sight, favor in his sight, by the name of Noah, and he whispers in his ear the secret of God. Hey, Noah, build a big boat because the flood's coming. Right? He whispers in his ear that secret He prepares him for what's coming. So check this out. In verse 18, since Abraham shall surely become a great nation, great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, how how are all the nations of the world blessed through Abraham? Because the Messiah came through Abraham and all the countries of the world have had the gospel go preach to them to receive the blessing of the Lord through Abraham's uh, life and through his grandchild, if you will, the Messiah. In verse 19, for I have known him, Abraham, in order that, why has he built this relationship with Abraham? Isn't this insightful? Because this is God's heart for you and for me. It says, I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord and do justi- righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what I have spoken to him. So he tells him, he says, you know what? Abraham... I've revealed myself to you. I'm building this relationship. You and I have this great relationship and you're walking with me, as he said in the verse uh, one of chapter 17. Now walk before me and be blameless. Grow in your relationship with me. And I have known you that you might share with your kids and your grandkids and all of your descendants about me. What is a parent's role to raise a child in the ways of the Lord, to raise a child that they might know the Lord. The greatest legacy that I could give to my son, my daughter, my grandkids is that I know God and love God and serve God. And that this is how you do it. And I share it with them. So my son and my daughter from their infancy have watched their mom and I love Jesus and walk with God and read his word. And They've watched that their entire lives. The goal of a relationship with God is to be able to convey that to the next generation, and then the next generation, and the next generation, because we're always just one generation away from being lost in sin again. Every generation has to have its own revival, but when they have the, the things to work with, with the gospel was shared with them that they have the roots of the gospel conveyed to them from their mom and dad. Now maybe you're here and you came to the Lord late in life, right? You came to the Lord late, your kids are raised, you're like, man, I totally missed the boat. And now you try to reach out to your kids and they want nothing to do with you and your Jesus, whatever it might be. Hey, you just keep praying for them. You send those letters, you send those presents, you just start reaching out. And you say, well, they're not responding. It may take years. Man, the stories that I've heard about how families are so messed up and then God's redemptive grace begins to change things and begins to share with the kids and the grandkids. And watch, just watch what happens. watch They're watching you, mom and dad. They're watching the transformation that you're going through. Now, this is the interesting thing with family, isn't it? That you, you don't want to be too preachy with family. You just want to see them see the change. And not be too mouthy about it. If you're constantly mouthy about it and it hasn't been a good relationship, they just look, you know, just stop. Stop. Let them see the new love. Let them see the joy. Let them see the peace that you have. Let them see the kindness. Let them see the forgiveness. Let them see the transformation in your life. And God says, you know what, Abraham? I'm gonna share this cool stuff with you. Why? Because I want to grow in my relationship with you and and I want you to tell your kids about me so they want to hear the secrets of God so that they want to walk with God, that they know that this is where true fulfillment is, is in a relationship with God. So the first secret was you're going to have a boy. Last chapter says he even knows his name. His name's Isaac. So Sarah's going to have a child in nine months. Second secret, I'm going to download this cool stuff because you're going to be able to share it with your kids and the generations to come. So basically, it's a spiritual legacy for generations to come. And then thirdly, it says in verse 20, and the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether, according to the outcry against it, that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So he says, oh, the next thing I'm gonna share with you is these two guys, these two angels, they're gonna go over to Sodom and Gomorrah and they're gonna see if it's as bad as we hear about in heaven. Now, this is uh, anthropomorphism. It's a big $5 word that simply means this. The Lord is talking to Abraham in human language that he understands. Does God need to go down and go into Sodom and Gomorrah to know what's going on? No. It's like when the Lord says to Adam, Adam, where are you? I mean, really, can you play hide and seek? with the God of the universe. I don't care how cool your fig leaf duds are, right? You can't hide. This is called anthropomorphism, which is, it's how God interacts with human language to humans so that they understand where his head's at and where he's he's going with that. So Sodom and Gomorrah is a distance away here, uh, well, quite a ways away from where Abraham is in the south by Hebron, by Mamre, and so it's quite a ways north of there. But this is an amazing thing because sometimes we only think our prayers are rising to God, right? Like incense, our prayers are rising to God and they're arriving in heaven. Revelation chapter five says the bowls of the saints, that the, these prayers are filling up this bowl and one day God's gonna pour out the bowls. When, when every time you pray this prayer, I don't know how much you pray, pray the Lord's prayer, every morning when I take a shower, I pray the Lord's prayer. Just something I kind of get my head right and I'm thinking about it. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts or sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the glory and the power. And um, amen. So, every time you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. What are you praying? for the Lord's kingdom to come to planet earth. You're praying for God's kingdom to come. So the Bible says in Revelation chapter five that all those prayers for God's kingdom to come are filling up a bowl of God's people. And then when it's full, he's gonna pour it out on planet earth and bring about this, the end times fulfillments that we see in the scriptures. But have you ever thought here, according to this passage, that the Lord says, I'm going to find out in Sodom that all the stuff that has come up to me about their great evil, do you realize the sinfulness of mankind is also rising as a stench into heaven to where God knows it? Imagine what must be arising to God from the Bay Area right, from Los Angeles, from, the, from Las Vegas, from the iniquity, right, just, just sin rising. And the Lord says, and I'm going to check it out. I'm going to see if it is really what I know it to be. Now, next week I'll share with you Ezekiel 16 verses 49 and 15 shares that there's six things that's going wrong in Sodom and Gomorrah. We usually uh, only think of Sodom and Gomorrah in homosexual uh, perversion, right? That's what it's known for. And uh, by the way, people have doubted. Critics of the scriptures always, they have all of these <laughs> things are skeptical. There's no such place as Sodom and Gomorrah. There's no extra biblical evidence. They have a relief, uh, uh, I'll share it with you next week, that identifies Sodom and Gomorrah as cities of the plain. So the, these, these things are um, constantly, the archaeologist constantly proves these critics wrong all the time. And But this sin is rising. Now, what happens, though, because of this, what happens, as I mentioned earlier, about the Lord revealing these secrets in Amos to his prophets, Abraham is considered a prophet, and he also fears the Lord, but now he speaks up, because now for the first time, what's the secret? My wife is going to have a son this time next year. God is revealing these cool things to me so that I can share it with the, the descendants. Oh, Thirdly, now God is speaking about Sodom and Gomorrah, but why does he immediately want to speak up? Because his nephew Lot that he loves with all his heart, Lot, his wife, and their whole family are all in Sodom. He sensed in the tone of God's voice that judgment's coming. So he has to speak up to intercede. So this is the the fourth secret that he learns in this passage is that his nephew is in danger. His family members in danger. So he wants to pray. Do you know any family members that they're in danger? They're headed towards trouble. They're headed towards judgment and you intercede for them. So it says in verse 22, as he speaks up, then the men turned away from there, the two, and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood before the Lord. So there's three, the two angels go to Sodom. We'll see their story next week, next Saturday night. And Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous? with the wicked. Now he did not say in the previous verses that he's going to destroy, he just said I'm going to see if it really is as bad the outcry against it that has come up to me. And but he sensed his tone. He he sensed judgments coming. So what does he do? He says, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now this is a character conversation. God, I know your character. I've been hanging out with you. We're friends. You're the God of the universe. You call me a friend of God. You're sharing your secrets with your friend. and But I know your character. You're not going to judge righteous people right next to the ungodly. So he says, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within this city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Twice he says to the Lord. This is very bold language to talk to the Lord of glory. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? This challenge, this this whole conversation that we're now seeing has taught me how to wrestle with God in prayer. This is how you wrestle with God in prayer. By that, you can be honest. You can be open. You know God can handle whatever you're bringing to the table. He can handle your anger. He can handle your your, uh, disgust, your resentment, your tears. God can handle it all. The heartbreak, God can handle it. And you come into this place. Well, for him, he wants to know this. Hey, God. The righteous people are not appointed to your wrath. That's what it tells us in First Thessalonians. We, we live in a generation because we're at the end times. People want to know, in eschatology or prophecy, do you think the Christians, the church, will go through the seven years of great tribulation? No. Because we are not appointed to wrath. It's the same argument right here. Because you are saying the wrath of God that is going to be judging the ungodly, unrighteous, wicked world... That God's going to judge the righteous right next door to them, and Abraham says, "Far be it from you, Lord! Shall not the Judge of the earth do right? That—that's not right. These people are—we love you. We're walk, here. We are tonight." I'm not going to have you raise hands. Everybody will raise their hand. If you love Jesus and you want to escape the seven years of great tribulation, a time that Jesus has said is never. there's never been a time like this, nor shall there ever be like this, a time in the history of the world. Not only on top of that, if it wasn't shortened, there would be no flesh saved because half of the earth's population is destroyed. Half. Right now we're almost at 8 billion people. That means 4 billion people are going to be destroyed in judgment. Is that overwhelming or what? When you read chapter 6 to chapter 19, I mean, every single verse, you're like, I don't want to be here. Oh, I don't want to be here. Oh, I don't want... Double, don't want to be here. No, don't want to be here. Shall not the God of all the earth do right? Far be it from him to judge the righteous with the wicked. Now, having said that, well, pastor, what if you got it all wrong and we're going to go through the great tribulation? I go, well, I'm not afraid to die. And it appears that... Tribulation saints get their heads chopped off. And I think that's a fast way to go. As a matter of fact, I'm a little bit curious because they say you have about four seconds of oxygen still in your brain when it's decapitated. I'm wondering what am I thinking when I'm over there? (laughs) I'm going to go, I'm beside myself. (laughs) <laughs> I, uh, I apologize. Uh, that's a seriously bad joke. <laughs> but that would be crazy, right? Four to five seconds of oxygen in my brain, I'm over there going, wow, this is not like I thought it was going to be. Right? I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid of the great tribulation. If I had to go through it, I'm basing the desire to be raptured Basically, how Abraham is wrestling with God that far be it from the God, the judge of all the earth, to judge the righteous alongside the wicked. Shouldn't be so. As a matter of fact, he's now going to negotiate. And then when you're wrestling with God in prayer about issues, Jacob wrestled with the Lord all night. And he said, I'm not going to, and the angel of the Lord, which we also believe this is an Old Testament picture of Jesus wrestling with Jacob. And And the day's starting to break. The sun's starting to come up. And the angel of the Lord says, let me go. And he goes, I'm not going to let you go with tears. He's crying. I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. He goes, what's your name? It's Jacob. He goes, okay, I'm going to change your name to Israel. You've wrestled with God. You've wrestled with man. You're the wrestler. That's what Israel means, wrestler. And learning to wrestle with God in prayer, notice how this proceeds but he bases his prayer of the negotiation that's going to come now based upon God's character and God's nature you know the Bible says in 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 Moses when he's, he's talking to the children of Israel there are those who know the ways of God and there are those who know the works of God do you understand those are two different things do you understand the ways of God the ways of God is the character of God it's the nature of God it's it's who he is you know him There are a lot of people that are Christians, they they know the works of the Lord. God did that, and God did that, and God did, but they don't know him. So the difference of the ways of knowing the ways of the Lord and the works of the Lord, and Abraham knows the ways of the Lord. So that affects how he views the works of the Lord, and now he negotiates in verse 26. So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sake. Okay, Abraham, he's interceding. God loves this because you see, as you become a friend of God, you take on his redemptive nature. You take on his desire to see people rescued from sin. You start becoming like the Lord. And so this has to thrill the Lord's heart because now he's wrestling for the hearts and minds or the souls of Lot, his wife, and their children. And so he starts with 50. And he's thinking to himself, you know, surely there's gotta be 50 people, righteous people. He'd be like, hey, there's 50 righteous people here tonight that that love God by faith. That's how you become righteous is by faith. And so the Lord says, okay, you got it. I'm going to save the whole city. Let's say there's 10,000 there. We don't know how big it is. There's 10,000 there. And if there's 50, I'll spare the whole city because there's 50 righteous there. That's what you call salt and light, preservation of the people, changing a community. Verse 27, then Abraham answered and said, Indeed, now I am but dust. He humbles himself in ashes and have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were less, five less than the 50 righteous, would you destroy all the city for the lack of five? So he said, If I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again. Can you tell he's a little nervous? He's going to start at 50, he's going to end at 10. He's a good Jewish businessman. Right, He's negotiating, he's getting it down to a place. And I think he's just heading to a place that it's probably for him inconceivable that there's not at least 10 because it's very possible that Lot has 10 in his family. Lot, his wife, and maybe eight kids. Maybe he thinks, because his daughters, we find out later, are married and his son-in-laws laugh at him when he tells them the city's gonna be destroyed. They, they think he's joking, they mock him because they have no relationship with God and they're destroyed in the fire. But I think Abraham's thinking, I think there's 10 righteous, at least in Lot's family. So he continues down the list. In verse 29, and he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. So he said, I will not just for the sake of the 40 Uh, Let not the Lord be angry, I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, indeed now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. I will not destroy it if for the sake of the 20. Let not the Lord be angry, I will speak. But once more, suppose 10 should be there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 10. Next Saturday, when we look at chapter 19 and Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed, why? Because there's not even 10 righteous people there, none. Only Lot, his wife, and Lot's wife is not. She goes back to the, heads back to the city, gets turned to a pillar of salt, and the Lord Jesus uses her as an example of being right with God. He says, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. She wanted the perversity of Sodom and Gomorrah. She didn't want a walk with God. Remember Lot's wife. Be warned. Jesus uses her as the icon, a, a pillar of sight, a salt icon, to remember who she is. Well, he got what he desired. He interceded. Do you pray for the people you love? Are you praying for them? Are you praying that the Lord saves them? Anybody? When we love people, we just don't want them to not only live a a defeated life, but we also don't want them to go to hell. Bottom line. We don't want him to be destroyed for eternity. We wanna see him rescued. So we pray for him and we're asking God to intervene and and to rescue and we wrestle with God over the people that we love. But then he rests. Notice that he, he looked up, he stepped up, he listened up, he now has spoken up and now he rests up. In verse 33, so the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. Isaiah 26.3 says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. He can have perfect peace because he's poured out his heart to the Lord. He's prayed to the Lord. He's prayed for Lot and Mrs. Lot and the, the kids. And, and you see, this is his nephew. He, he knows all of the family, Abraham does. And now he has to just rest and trust that God's going to work. God's, God's got it, God's gonna do it. Because once I've poured my heart out, that's what the Bible says in Philippians chapter four, that let my heart be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let my requests be made known to the Lord and the past that passes all human understanding will guard two things. My heart, that's my emotional center, and my mind, that's my thought life. You know how your heart just feels so anxious and you're fearful about things? And then your mind, you go to bed tonight and your mind's just like, it won't stop just the, the anxiety that's going on. And he says, when you pour out your heart, now, this is an interesting thing. And in, in, uh, uh, those who, uh, neurologists have discovered that when the, the, the place when your brain's troubled, like when you have fearful emotions and your brain's troubled, as soon as you speak those things out loud, it actually moves the thought to the prefrontal uh, lobe and so it takes it out of the fear place because once you've spoken it out loud, so the Lord telling us to pray and talk to him about it, he supernaturally by his, his spirit guards our emotions and guards our minds. And he also has created our mental neurological mechanisms that that's what happens too. But as long as you keep it all bottled up inside, he can be torn apart by anxiety. I think Abraham's gonna go home to his tent that night And he's going to sleep like a baby. Well, after him and Sarah have a very special night. Because the baby's on the way. Woo! A hundred-year-old and a 90-year-old. It's a uh, romantic escapade for the two of them. But he's going to sleep like a baby. Why? Because he poured his heart out to the Lord. Do you know nothing's too hard for the Lord? You can pour your heart out and trust God and watch what he's going to do. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for meeting us in a special way. Here you are tonight, wanting to touch hearts. Wanting to draw us close to yourself. Wanting to whisper the secrets that you have for us, each one of us, in our ears. Thank you, Lord, that the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. Lord, we pray that you would give us insight about our loved ones, about the people we care about, that we might pray for them and love them and minister to them. Thank you for the confidence that we have to come and pour our hearts out to you and in exchange for all of our troubles and our worries and our anxieties and our cares and and, uh, our turmoil, Lord, you will give us your perfect peace that will guard our emotions and, and our thoughts in Christ Jesus. And we ask it in Jesus' name.